0: Ephesians chapter two. When they come back in here, just lift your hand up, and then we'll we'll get you a study guide tonight. Uh, let me go ahead and start with a question as we kind of jump into chapter two and uh, continue this series, and really kind of transition a little bit from chapter one to two. Now, uh, again, the chapter, the verse breakdowns are not inspired of God or anything like that. Uh, when Paul wrote his epistle, when he wrote his letter, he was writing it in one long letter. Now we've broken it down into chapter verse, and really, it's it's a natural transition. Uh, between chapter one and chapter two, and we'll hit on that in just a minute. Uh, put your hand up if you need one. William's got a couple. Uh, go ahead and put your hand up. But Let me ask this question. I really want you to give me some feedback if you can. What has stood out to you most so far in this series as we've really dug into chapter number one? What has stood out something to you in this series in the past 10 weeks? Go back in your mind, go back in your brain, and kind of think if anything has stood out to you, anything has stood out to you at all, hopefully something has stood out to you. Anybody want to share? We are complete in Christ. Yes, that's very good. Very good. What else? Something that stood out to you. Or accepted. accepted. Very good. Anyone else? We're adopted. Or adopted. Now you guys are just going to go to that list, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? These are good. What, what has stood out to you maybe in this series? Something that maybe you didn't know? Something you're reminded of? Something that God <laughs> has encouraged you in thus far? Anything else? I mean, your Finding your identity? Yeah. Exactly, yes. Our identity should be found in Jesus Christ. And again, as I've said, uh, obviously the series that we're I'm, I'm preaching all kind of ties with that. But it's, it's amazing how things I'm reading, either other messages that I'm listening to just on my own or podcast, it seems like everything is just tying into. I was driving uh, up yesterday on the road and was listening to a message. And it was from four or five years ago. Pastor... Uh, that I know in uh, California, and uh, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, that's identity, that's what he's talking about, he wasn't, but he was, because everything ties together with that, so that's good, what else, anything else stand out to you in this series thus far, Amanda, you want to say anything, oh hi, good to see you, very good, doesn't matter what we want, it's what he wants, yes, that's very good, what else, anything else, Okay, very good. Nothing stood out to anyone else. Very good. All right, let's go back to chapter 1 and re-preach the past 10 weeks then. All right, verse number 1, Paul, an apostle. I'm just kidding. All right, chapter 2, verse number 1. I really do hope this has been a blessing to you, an encouragement to you, and uh, I'll continue to ask questions and try to get some feedback as we continue this series. Uh, verse number 1, we're going to look at verses 1, 2, and 3 tonight. Really, this, this chapter can be broken down into kind of three segments. We have verses 1 through 3, which is all about the problem. There is a problem with mankind. Verses 4 through 10 talks about the solution. Fortunately, God has offered a solution. And then verse 11 through 22 is really all about the application of it all. So let's go ahead and start in verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh in our mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. And God, I do thank you for this series. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we continue this thought, looking at our identity in Christ and really transitioning from chapter one, everything that we've gained in you and all the spiritual possessions into chapter two. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to continue to realize that it is all about you. It's not about us. It's all about you and what you want for us. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you again for the uh, great day that we had on Sunday and the many visitors, the many guests, and just the, the great spirit in your house. And just excited about that. Excited about what you're doing here and just thankful that you're using us in this church. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Again, it's not as important as what I'm identified with as who I'm identified with. And that who should be Jesus Christ. I may have this in your notes, may not, I'm not really sure, but it's just this phrase. We'll never understand who we are until we understand who God is and what he's done for us. And that is very very important, very imperative. Understanding who God is. Once we understand who God is, we're gonna understand much more what he's done for us. Now, on Sunday mornings, this past Sunday, and Easter Sunday, we kind of started a new series, Jesus Is, and over the next seven weeks, we're actually gonna be looking in John, in the book of John, at those seven I am statements of Jesus, and I'm excited about that. It talks about I am the bread of life. That's the very first one, and I was telling the staff today, I said, what I thought about doing, which I still may, but I probably won't since I'm telling you now, but I thought about you know getting some you know good fresh bread or fresh no, no, can't talk <laughs> got it fresh baked bread you know from like Olive Garden or like Texas Roadhouse and stuff like that you know it's hot off the press That's, that stuff's good and then eating it all in front of you and like man this is just amazing wouldn't you love that wouldn't you be encouraged oh, what man you should be encouraged for your pastor what. I can eat it all, yeah. Amanda's not really bread fan. But anyway, I probably won't do that because I don't want to just be like, oh, I'm so full and I can't even preach. But anyway, uh, I'm excited about that. But even that series, I didn't necessarily intend it, but that series is about our identity because it's about who we are in Jesus Christ. Jesus is those things. And understanding who God is, as it says, we'll never understand who we are until we understand who God is and what he's done for us. And it's something that the Lord has helped me with over the past really several months. And several years of my life, as I said, I think even last week, uh, going back to Logan and his life and some things that happened before there, and when I was a youth pastor and a minister already, I don't think I fully, truly understand who I was in Christ as I do today. What I'm saying is, seven years later, I understand a whole lot more of who I am in Christ than I did seven years ago. And that's all to the praise and the honor and glory of God, but it's also because I've been growing in Christ. I've been trying to have a deeper, meaningful relationship with Christ and it's something that as we grow in him, as we dive into his word, he reveals himself to us. It's an amazing thing. If you want to know who God is, then look no further than his word, and he reveals himself to us. And even as we said on Sunday, you want to know who God is, look to the person of Jesus Christ, and that's, that's the person who he is. He's that image of the invisible one. But for the past 10 weeks, we've done our best to describe our spiritual... Here's the first couple blanks for you. Our spiritual possessions... Remember, it's all about that identity. I am blessed and chosen, adopted and accepted, forgiven, redeemed, all those things. So we've done our best to describe our spiritual possessions in Christ. Chapter 2 kind of flips the page and Paul turns the page to start hitting on our position in Christ. Our position in Christ. This is important. Understanding, again, who we are. Not just what we possess, but our standing, our position in Christ. Ephesians 2, Paul shows us the full spectrum of our new position. This chapter is about the Christian's past, present, and glorious future. Um, and uh, one thing I want us to do tonight is uh, I want you to try to memorize Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, and then we'll try to say it together next week. I, want to, I don't often do this and give you homework, but I'm going to give you homework for this week. Uh, do your best to just memorize Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. Let's pop that verse up on the screen, guys. Now, let's go ahead and say that together. Ready? Begin. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I want you to memorize it because I want it to stick with you. Because, again, this is going to help us understand our position in Christ and who we are. Let's read it one more time. Ready? Begin. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul is going to show us the depths of where we were and how bad it was. And then he's going to contrast them with how good it is with Christ in being in Christ. And really, over the next few verses, what he's doing is this. He's talking about how we were dead, trespasses in sin, how we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He says we are both children of disobedience and children of wrath. Now, when you think about that, as he's starting off here, it sounds like a pretty awesome picture of who we were, right? No, you're like, man, that's not encouraging, But he's really setting them up to explain who you were versus who you are. And as I was studying this 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 afternoon, this morning, again, God just kind of blew me away understanding a little bit more of who I am. It's so easy, and I'm I'm trying not to jump the gun in the message tonight, but it's so easy to think back to who we were. Well, this is who I was. But God is telling us clearly, and Paul is telling us, no, 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 this is who you are. It's not about your past. It's about your present. It's about the moment you get saved, God came into your life, he changed you. And again, I'll talk about that later, so I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, which I already am. I'm too excited about this message, so it's just coming out. Anyway, all right, first point, how bad I was, how bad I was. So the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about how bad I have been in my life. No, I'm not. I'm going to talk about how bad all of us have been in our life before Christ, how bad I was. William Barclay descriptively titles this passage, Life Without Christ and it's so true. This is a picture of someone who has lived their life apart from Jesus Christ. The word there, quickened. Anybody know what that means? And you hath he quickened? Made alive. Made alive. Very good. Kind of the title of our lesson tonight. Made alive. You hath he quickened, which means Jesus Christ has what? He has made you alive. In a sense, we were all walking around, as it says, you hath he quickened, who were what? Dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. Now, the operative word in this passage is not the word dead. It's the word were. You know, one of the Calvinistic arguments, and we talked a little bit about Calvinism, but it talks about the total depravity of man and the fact that man can't choose God, and they, they use passages like this to, to their benefit. You know, they say, well, well, the Bible says we were dead, and, you know, a dead man can't do anything. A dead man can't move, can't talk. A, a dead man can't choose life because they're dead. So you definitely can't choose Christ. Well, you have to go back to the Garden of Eden because when God said to Adam and Eve, not to eat the fruit, what would happen if they of the fruit? They would die, right? Now, it was a physical death, but it was also a spiritual death. You see, they became dead spiritually. But they weren't dead physically at that moment, were they? No. So they were still able to carry on a conversation with God. But the death spiritually separated them from God. And that's really what Paul is talking about here. When he's saying that you were dead, you were separated. Death is not extinction. We can't be extinct because even when we die, when we're separated from this body, we're either going to go to heaven or hell, right? So we're not just extinct from existence, are we? No. We're always going to be something. So death in this passage that Paul is talking about is a separation. And really, it's a separation from God the bible says we were dead that's what he's talking about this picture of death is more about being separated from god and not being able to respond to him they are spiritually unresponsive they're like a corpse they're dead and really this world and sadly some of our churches are full of the living dead (laughs) zombies in a sense if you will but not really it's kind of like that movie the sixth sense where the young boy looks at his mother and says i Kind of scary, I know. I don't know why that just popped into my head, but it did. I know. It was a great analogy, wasn't it? So now you guys are going to walk around like, I see dead people. <laughs> dead spiritually, not physically. If you're seeing well, never mind. Let's just keep, keep going. We're getting totally offhand again, kind of like last week. But when you look at the world and you see all the people that are hustling back and forth, if you view them with spiritual eyes, then you're going to see dead people walking, spiritually dead. So dead simply means this, useless, lifeless, incapable of doing the things that those which are alive are able to do, and I'll continue this thought. This verse continues. It says we're dead in what? Trespasses and sins. These two words, transgressions or trespasses, are different terms for the same idea. A transgression is this. It's disobeying God's law. Get that down. A transgression is really what this is talking about. It's disobeying God's law. When we trespass, we go where we are not supposed to. When we transgress, we do what we are not supposed to do. A sin is this. It's missing the mark. A sin is missing the mark. So he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sin. I'm sure you've heard this before, but the term sin is hamartia, It's an old word used by archers when their arrow missed the target. What is the target that we're supposed to aim at? We're supposed to be holy as God is holy. But every time we miss, every time we sin, every time we disobey God, we miss the mark. And we fail to live up to the holiness of God. Now it continues. Verse number one where it says, wherein in what? In time past. That's not verse number one. That's verse number two, sorry. (laughs) Wherein in time past. Now that's very important. I want you to understand this phrase. This phrase in time past is so important to understanding what Paul is teaching here. Paul says here that we used to live in transgressions and sins. Again, this is before we got saved. Please understand this. Before you got saved, this is not talking about those that are saved now. Well, you are a, a wicked, horrible sinner, even though you're in Christ. Well, you, you are still dead spiritually. No, no, no. Once you become saved, once you're in Christ, you're no longer dead. The Bible says you're what? You're quickened, which means what? Made alive. You're not walking around, in a sense, aimlessly and wandering through life. So Paul says here that, we're, that we used to live in transgressions and sins. The actual term here is per, peripetio, which means to walk about. Paul hints, of course, that this, is, that used, uh, this, this, this used to be the pattern of our life. But now, it's not our pattern. This is the former way of living. This is not how we should live anymore. That's how we used to live. And Paul lists three different things that when we were dead, we used to follow. Look at these verses. Let me read them and I'll, I'll tell you. Verse number 2 where in time past. You walked according to the course of this world. So the first thing is this, the course of this world or the ways of this world, whichever one you want to put there. The course of this world This is talking about the world system, and it puts pressure on each person to try to get him or her to conform to it. He continues on. According to the prince of the power of the air. According to the prince of the power, the prince or ruler of the power of the air. Satan is that prince of the power of the air. Now, we need to understand a few things about Satan. This lesson is not about him, but Satan is not all-powerful, is he? No, I think sometimes we give him way too much credit than he deserves. Satan cannot be everywhere at the same time. He cannot. You know why? Because he is a created being, just like you are. Now, he has a lot more powers than we have. Only God, only Christ can be everywhere at once. He is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at once, which is hard to believe, hard to fathom in our minds. But Satan cannot be everywhere at once. Look at the Bible, or look in the Book of Job, where he's asking, him, where have you been?" Well, walking to and fro, he's he, he's he's only in one place at a time. Now he has a lot of demons that are working with him that are, in a sense, spread out doing his bidding. But this this prince of the power is is Satan. Satan again can't be more place, one place at more, one time, but he has so infiltrated the world system with his demonic forces, working alongside of him. He influences the lives of unbelievers as well as believers. Now, I want you to get this. One of Satan's biggest tools to get people to disobey God is through lies. He loves deception. He's the master of deception. He's a master deceiver. He's a master manipulator. He tricks us. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. He loves accusing us and setting up every scenario, every way in which we don't measure up to God. Now stay with me here because this is very important over the next few minutes. And we have people in our churches that are listening more to the lies from the accuser than they are listening to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is why so many Christians struggle with their identity, because they're listening to false accusations. They're listening to lies and not the truth. You want to know what the truth is right here? Look no further than God's word. You don't have to turn on the news to see what the truth is. They sprinkle truth with a lot of lies. You see, that's what our world system does because it's so infiltrated with the prince of this world. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he loves to deceive. And that's what Paul is saying here. As he goes back to verse number one, you at the quickened who were dead, wherein in time past... You walked according to the course. Now, it's not a present tense. It's a past tense. You, this is how you used to walk. You used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And he goes on, the spirit that now worketh in us, or sorry, in the children of disobedience. The next thing is this, the spirit. Back in chapter 1, verse 17, we see this word spirit again. That term is referring to our nature or character of wisdom and revelation. It's the same idea here. As unbelievers we had the spirit of disobedience the nature or character of rebellion against god and we will see this in the next few verses so here's what paul is saying here quickly you are not what you used to be so don't live like that did you get that you are not who you used to be were i'm going to blow you away in the greek you know what it means it means were i know it's just mind blowing were, excuse me, were means were it means past tense, I'm not an English major I'm not a grammar major, but I do know the difference between past tense and present tense past tense, were was present tense, are, am Paul isn't saying, okay once you're saved once you're in Christ, you're still a wicked, horrible worthless person, does he say that? no but do we believe that sometimes? yeah because we're following the lies of this world We're following the lies of the prince of the power of this air. So he says, you're not what you used to be. Don't live like you used to live. If you're saved, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're not who you used to were, and aren't you thankful that you're not who you used to were? I'm so thankful for that. I don't even know if I said that right, but I'm thankful. And really, it's about becoming more and more like Christ, about being sanctified. And really, sanctification is really a process of becoming more and more like Christ. Look, we should be more and more like Jesus every day since the moment we got saved. But I fear too many Christians look more like the world than they do like Christ. Either they don't realize what they have in Christ, or they don't believe that it's for them. Look, what you have in Christ, you got at the moment of salvation. That doesn't change. Again, chapter one is all about the possessions. It's all about your inheritance. This isn't an inheritance that oh, well, you can claim it in about 15 years. Once you once you truly sanctified, once you're truly holy, then you can claim your inheritance. No, 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 that's not what Paul is saying. The moment you get saved, everything that we talked about in chapter one is yours. Did you get that? Everything that we talked about is yours. That doesn't work in our system and in our world today. Inheritance, a lot of times you have to go to the court, you have to wait, you have to, you know, a lot of, a lot of ins and outs to it. But with Christ, everything that he has is yours the moment you're saved. And again, it's about coming, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. You don't get more of his goodness and grace and mercy after 10 years. You don't get more of your inheritance after you complete a set of steps. You get it all. It's important to take it all in and use it to draw us closer to Christ. But Satan loves reminding us of our past, does he not? He loves bringing up your sin and pounding you down with that. But friends, that's all on the cross. In order to grow in grace, you can't get caught up with who you were. Let me say that again. In order to grow in grace, you cannot get caught up with who you were. You have to understand who you are. Let me try to illustrate it here the next few minutes. You know, we have a lot of people today that are living under guilt and condemnation and fear and worry and stress instead of just living under Christ. In a sense, it's like we're balancing the scales. You ever seen one of those scales, the, the balance, you know, on it? You put something on that's heavier and this side, you know, weighs down. You know, really, I, I think this is kind of what we're doing. How many of you have ever been on one of those what, teeter-totters? You know, you're kind of going up and down and all that kind of stuff. You get someone that's really heavy, you a lot of people on there, and they, they push you up. I, I, I think, so let me try to explain this. I think this is kind of what's happening. You know, when Christ came into our lives, on the balance of the scales, like he made it all about him. He took away all of our past, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all that baggage that we had before Christ. And here's what I think we do. And I say this because I think I've done this at times in my life. Instead of just removing all that past and condemnation and guilt and fear, what do we try to do? We grab it. We try to hang on to it. But I need this. I need to hold on to this. I need to remember this. So in a sense, instead of just letting Christ totally balance out the scales and obliterate who we were, you know, because, you know, who we were, the right side of my hand right here, who we were, you know, was weighing us down. We were dead. Christ came in and boom, flipped us upside down. Amen. That's good. But we're trying to, no, 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 I, I, I gotta take this guilt. I gotta take this condemnation. I gotta take this fear. I gotta take all these pressures. And we try to almost even it out. We're trying to bring our past with us. But friends, I'm here to tell you that your past is your past. That is not who you are. And again, this series should help blow the doors off, obliterate who you thought you were. Because who you are in Christ makes all the difference in the world. Look, there's a difference between who you were and who you are. So why can't we get beyond that? Why can't we get beyond the fact that who I was before Christ is not who I am now? Who I was was a no-good, worthless, wretched, scoundrel, sinner, whatever. Who I am is not that. I am not that person anymore. You are not that person anymore. Pastor, you don't know what I did. Did you get saved? Well, Yeah. You're not that person anymore. That's what he's saying here. You were dead. And one of these weeks, I'll really get passionate about this, okay? I promise you. (laughs) Again, were, it means, were, it means past. Paul is very careful in separating. This is who you used to be. Now, now, stay with me here. You know, we say things like, and we even sing songs like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and I understand the significance of it. It's really remembering who we were, but don't raise your hand. But how many of us have done that? You know, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Don't raise your hand. But that's not who you are. You are not a sinner if you're in Christ. Did you hear me? If you're in Christ, you are no longer a sinner. Well, pastor, what are you saying? You're saying I can't sin? No, 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 it's not what I'm saying. You can still sin. But once you become saved, you are no longer a sinner. You know what you are? You're a saint. I'm a saint. Well, pastor, you sure don't act like a saint. I didn't ask your opinion. <laughs> so, stay with me here. The truth is, if I'm in Christ, I am not a sinner anymore. But that goes against everything I've ever heard and everything I've ever been taught. Well, then everything you've ever heard and everything you've ever been taught has been wrong. And I, I, honestly, I've struggled with this thought because I've probably even preached it. Well, we're still sinners. No, we're not. We are not a sinner once we get saved. We still can sin. We can still miss the mark. There's a difference there, people. Because we are tying and and, and buying a philosophy of the world and letting the accuser of the brethren get us and deceive us and trick us. I don't know if I like this preaching. Well, it's biblical. 1 John chapter 2, John the apostle, he's talking about this. He's writing this letter in 1 John to those that are saved, not to the lost. And sometimes we miss that. Talking about if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That is to the Christian. But in chapter 2, verse 1, he's saying, he's writing to the Savior, and he says, he doesn't say when you sin, but if you sin. Now stay with me here. Here's the truth. I'm going to sin. I'm going to miss the mark and fall short of where I should be. It's true that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But that doesn't mean that we have to stay in our sin. Here's what I mean. Please listen, because this is powerful. By constantly saying, I'm, I'm a sinner, if you're, a, if you're saved. By constantly saying things like, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm thankful that God saved me and, and forgives me. That is wrong thinking, because we are living with a sin consciousness. If we are living according to the revelation of grace, our hearts should instead be focused on a right standing with God. As a believer, you may still sin, but that does not mean you're a sinner. I know it's getting very quiet. Because here's what I'm trying to explain. Once you become saved, once you are in Christ, you are no longer that person anymore. Make sense? You're not that person. But but, but you, you don't understand what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. That was past. This is who you are. Read chapter 1. That's who you are. Read chapter 2. That's who you are. Read chapter 3. That's who you are. Not what we think about ourselves. And again, I'm glad I'm not who I was. This is important because of what Paul is saying here. In Romans, he talks about this in chapter 6 and 7 and 8. When you come to Christ, get this down. Romans teaches that your old nature was crucified with Christ. Your old nature, your past, was crucified with Christ, which means it's on the cross. And I want you to get this. And again, this is kind of a mind-blowing truth. It really is. You cannot be the possessor of two natures, which means you can't have a sin nature and a saint nature. You can't do both. That's not who you are. Well, while it's, it's, it's natural for, for me to sin. Can I help you with something? Actually, it's not. If you're saved, it is not natural for you to sin. I don't understand what you're saying. If you came to Christ, your old nature was demolished. Write that down. If you came to Christ, your old nature was demolished. You see, this series is all about our identity. It's about understanding who we are, not who we were. Understanding who we are, not who we were. Second Corinthians 5, 17, we've already read that verse and quoted the verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's referencing your nature, who you are in God's view of things. Pastor, I still struggle with sin. Of course you do. That's called your flesh. And your flesh is going to struggle. There's a constant battle between your flesh that's warring with your spirit. But what's the difference between your nature and your flesh? Your nature is the truest thing about you. Your flesh, in a sense, is like a software that's being rewritten. The source of your being has been made new. There's going to be a daily struggle of who we are versus who we were and how we think and how we behave. He continues on, and we're going to hit more on this thought next week. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh. So when you fulfill the desires of your flesh, that's not what you're supposed to be that's not who you're supposed to be you're not supposed to be the person that is still fulfilling the desires of your flesh but but i i still struggle with that because you don't understand who you are once you're a christian it shouldn't be a natural thing to continue living in sin did you get that but yet how many times do we do that and we sweep it under the rug well it's not that big of a deal i'm here to tell you sin is sin and it's a huge deal to god And I struggle with this just as much as the next person because I do the same thing. You know what? That's just who I am. I've always been a sinner. I'll always be a sinner. No, if I got saved, the moment I got saved, I'm no longer a sinner. I am a saint. Well, don't you have to be dead? No, no, (laughs) no. A saint just means someone that is basically alive in Christ. It's a new creation. Verse 3, And we're by nature the children of wrath even as others. That's who you used to be. So please get this. Do not define yourself by who you used to be anymore. Let me say that again. I don't have this in your notes, but you can write it down. Do not define yourself by who you used to be. Do not define yourself by who you used to be. I used to be a drunk. I used to be this. Well, maybe that was before Christ. If you're in Christ, you're not that person anymore. You're one of His. Don't cheapen who God is. Don't cheapen who Christ is. Don't say you're something that He never intended you to be. Go back to, or go forward to Galatians, or back, sorry. One of those places. Galatians chapter 3. You know, really, in all of Paul's letters, especially Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, he's addressing these churches, and he's addressing their identity struggle as well. Look what he says in verse number one, chapter three. "O foolish Galatians, who hath betwitched you? I know we don't really use those words today, but who hath betwitched you that you should not obey the truth? Hey, I'm here to tell you, I'm telling you what the truth is and the truth is who you are in Jesus Christ. So who is, who is telling you lies? Who is telling you that you're something that you're not? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received you by the Spirit, by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, uh, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Skip down to verse number uh, nine. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse number 10. For as many as are of the works of law are under the curse. If you're still living under the law, who you used to be, you're under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Here's here's what he's saying here. Sin's grip in our lives is no stronger no more stronger. We're not uh, held together by the chains of the past. You ever been chained up? <laughs> Hopefully not. But if you have, it's hard to get free, right? I don't know why I said that. Anyway. But if you're chained up, <laughs> I don't want to know if you are. Uh, if you're chained up, it's hard to break free those chains, right? It really is. And our old nature before Christ, I think it's the old nature still. Our uh, old nature before Christ, we were in chains. We were in bondage. We couldn't break free, but when Christ came and died on the cross and saved us from our sins, he gave us a way to break free from the chains. And I love that song, Chain Breaker. Someday we'll sing it here, but it's a great song. You know, we, we should not be chained up with our past and our, and our guilt and our condemnation, but yet what we do is we get saved, we're in Christ, we're no longer enchained, we're no longer enslaved, and yet I gotta keep those chains on me. I, I gotta remember who I am i gotta, I got to continue to struggle this. Why? Why do we continue to struggle with our past? That's why we're not thriving in our present. That's why we're not going to thrive in our future. Sin's grip on our lives is no stronger than the rope that constrains a circus elephant. Elephants are very powerful, powerful creatures. Capable of amazing feats of strength. Yet trainers are able to keep them in place with a rope and a small stake in the ground. How is this possible? Why does the elephant allow this intrusion of its freedom, its very nature of power? It begins through training when the elephant is very young. A strong chain is placed around the elephant's ankle and secured with a formidable stake into the ground. The young pachyderm will pull and pull and pull until he he or she will eventually give up, succumbing to the grip, realizing that they cannot break free from that chain. It is too strong. Has a such a strong grip on them. Even when full grown and capable of freeing themselves, the pressure of a simple rope tied to a small stake can hold an elephant captive because it has grown to believe that it cannot pull itself free. It's ingrained in their minds that this rope, this chain is holding me back. Stay with me here. Paul is saying here to the Galatians and even the Ephesians that they are captive like an elephant. Their past beliefs of working their way to heaven have rendered them useless and helpless. And we too allow the chains of our past to bind us. The chains of a painful childhood, the chains of a substance addiction or abusive marriage or a works-based faith or whatever you want to, Insert your chain there. They're all mere strings and tiny stakes to God and easily can be broken. I'm not saying that it didn't hurt. It's not what I'm saying. Yet because we believe they can hurt us, because we believe they're holding us down, they do hold us down. Kind of like the elephant. Once we got saved, the moment we got saved... Those chains were broken. And we're free. And instead of living in true freedom, you know what we've done? In a sense, we've tied a rope, a rope, a string to our ankle and a little stake. I can't break free. This pressure is too great. I just, I just, I just can't do it. It, it, it. It's a struggle. You know, it's like being tied down by a little kite string. A kite string should not hold you back. You know, you don't have to be physically strong like myself and Carrie to break free from a kite string. Why do you guys laugh every time I say those things? Yeah, probably are. But I think that's a powerful picture. You know, the elephant, in their mind, I'm still in bondage. All they have to do is basically move their leg and they're free. All we have to do is realize who we are, and we're free. I'm not that person anymore. Glory to God. I am not a sinner anymore. I am a saint. I can still sin. I can still mess up. I can still fall short. I can still miss the mark. But I am not that person. You see, we live our lives under condemnation, under guilt, under the abuse, under the addiction, under all of this stuff. Instead of living in Christ, he has made you free. Amen. It's a Wednesday. Why are you getting so worked up? I don't know. I just am. We like it. I do too. I appreciate it. But Paul is moving away from our possession in Christ to our position in Christ. I want to leave you with this thought, and it really sets it up for the next few weeks. Your sin nature is dead. You have a divine nature now that we choose to go against. Our sin nature is dead the moment we got saved. Now that we're saved, now that we're in Christ, we have a divine nature that we choose to go against. A little kite string is holding us back, and it's too strong for me. It's not too strong for you. I'm pretty sure God's strength is greater than that little kite string. I'm pretty sure what He gives you, what He puts in you the moment you're saved, is greater than that little kite string. Nope, I'm going to live over here instead of living in freedom. You know, I, I get so agitated at myself, first and foremost, and others that struggle with this. And, and, and I think to myself, and, and trust me, I, I struggle greatly. My wife and I have a lot of talks about this. Why, why don't I get it? Why don't people get it? Why, why don't they understand that's not who you are anymore so why do you live that way why do we live in our flesh why do we live with a the struggle with the bondage you know i wonder why people don't come to church it's because they're living under condemnation sometimes i don't want to go because i'm not good enough you weren't good enough you weren't holy but god has made you holy he has made you righteous he has given you the standing that you need. Here's the qualifier. You were dead. Let's say that together. Ready? You were dead. If you're saved, you're not dead anymore. And you have the be what? Quickened, made alive. If you think the chain is still there, then you'll never walk away into freedom that lies in front of you. And it's important to appropriate the things when Paul is using this phrase in time past, over and over and over. If you think your nature is sin, then you'll relegate yourself to failure, thinking yourself to still be chained. But it's not in your new nature. When you really are in Christ Jesus, you are new in Christ Jesus, and there's no chains around you anymore. Jesus has set you free, He has broken every chain. So why do we still live like this? Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. No one looking around. I'm not gonna have anyone play, but we are gonna have an invitation tonight. I feel like many of us, whether you want to come forward and pray or pray in your seats, just do business with God. And I hope this message really helps some people tonight to understand that we're not that person anymore if you're saved. Maybe you're struggling with your salvation here tonight and We can definitely help you with that, help you understand who you are, who you need to be. But please understand and and ask God to help you. God, help me to not live under the law, under my past anymore. Help me not to live with this bondage, with this struggle, with this chain that that, uh, says that I'm I'm worthless, I'm I'm no good, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm a sinner. You're not, you're a saint. You're a Christian, you're a new creature. For the next few minutes, just spend a few minutes in prayer and ask God to help you understand this. Ask God to help you understand who you are in him. Father, I do thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for this lesson. and Lord, you know where my passion is coming from. God, I pray that you'd help me to get the point across that I'm trying to help our people to understand. That the moment you get saved, you're no longer who you were. And Lord, I know there's individuals. I'm thinking about them right now. Maybe they're here, maybe they aren't here, that are struggling with this. They're struggling with how the world is defining them, they're struggling with how their past has defined them. Instead of giving it all over to you and understand who you say they are. As we talked about, the past 10 weeks, they're chosen, accepted, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, blessed, we're sealed, we have an inheritance, all of these things, and now the position in Christ. Again, this is just setting up the greatness that is to come next week, that we were those things. want I pray that you'd help us understand this. I pray that you'd help our church to grasp these truths because I, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this will truly transform our church. This is the kind of revival that our church needs, a revival, an awakening of who we are in Christ not what the world says.